Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. How does God have the audacity to invite us to enter his rest when mass shootings by domestic terrorists are rising at an alarming rate, especially in places of worship? When you as a parent have uh, concerns about your children's health, much more their salvation. When the, when, the, when the rhetoric of fear, hate, and division is being normalized and the powerful continue to oppress. How can we enter into his rest when we've lost a loved one and we're grieving? How can we enter into rest when families have tension going on in families and marriages and then we put on a really nice happy Sabbath smile when we come here to worship? Can we be real this morning? How can we truly enter into his rest? How does he have the audacity to say that to us in the time in which we're living? We just prayed about our brothers and sisters around the world experiencing, in many places, death for their faith. How does he have the audacity to ask us to enter into his rest? CJ, you said last week that entering into his rest means that God uh, is the one who gives rest as a gift of grace to all, that he asks us to enter into it as our creator and our redeemer who saved us. You said, CJ, that that, that we we enter into this rest because he's the one who makes us holy. You said, CJ, that he is the one uh, who, through Jesus Christ, both gives and defines rest. And so basically, CJ, what I hear you saying is, is that entering to his rest, the experience of both the spiritual rest in Christ through the gospel and the seventh-day weekly Sabbath rhythm, you're saying, CJ, that, that, that this is something that God has given us as a weekly illustration and celebration of the gospel. But come on, Pastor CJ, be real with me now. How seriously can we enter into that rest? Is that something that has continued after the cross? I've heard somewhere that that's been done away with. It's been changed to Sunday. Right, CJ? So seriously, how do we do? Is there a rest for us now? Well, as always, we're on a journey, and I invite you to take this journey with me because I believe we'll find the answer to this question in an unusual place that you may not expect. It's the year 1947, and a young shepherd is looking for his sheep. While he's looking for his sheep, he takes a stone and at random he throws it and it hits a a, a clay pot that's inside of a cave in the desert. And as he does this, he discovers what becomes in the 20th century the most, probably one of the most important discoveries of the 21st century. Today we know them as the Dead Sea Scrolls. This took place in the Qumran in the Middle East in the desert there near Judea. 
It literally shook the skeptics of the time because it demonstrated with credibility and with acute accuracy the inspired text that you have right now in your devices or in print in your hand. See, up until that time, this, this particular, it was, over, it was over 900 texts in Greek and in Hebrew and in Aramaic that confirm what you have in your Bibles. It contained the entire Old Testament, uh, excluding the book of Esther. And you can Google this or, or, or YouTube it. All right, now some of you are probably doing that right now. Get back into the Word, come on. So, this discovery shook the world at this time because guess what? People are going, wait a minute, you mean, so what the Bible is saying is actually true. This is actually credible. This actually happened. This happened actually in history. There's actual contemporary documents, very credible, like Josephus and others, that actually confirm what's written in this text. Over 900 just sitting there in a clay pot? You see, up until that time, the, the, the oldest manuscripts that they had, these documents now they discovered, were over a thousand years older than the ones that they previously thought were the, most, were the oldest manuscripts. Okay? And so these manuscripts go all the way back to 200 B.C. Before Christ. Some of the texts that they found... They dated up until 70 A.D., so it included the time of Jesus even beyond that when he was on earth. But what I find most interesting about this Dead Sea Scroll discovery, as wonderful as it is that they discovered all of this, but the full text that they had, the full text that they had was the book, the scroll of Isaiah. The Isaiah scroll. What's so significant about that, Pastor C.J.? Let me tell you why. I believe one of the most gospel-saturated books in the entire Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, is the book of Isaiah. And the one book that they find with, 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 with the most documentation, having the most, the fullest manuscript they find, is this book, this gospel of the Old Testament, the book, the scroll of Isaiah. You see, it's not that God wanted this discovery to be discovered so that we can simply kind of go with our kind of our, with a little bit of a Christian arrogance uh, to kind of silence an argument, right? It wasn't just to kind of shame and silence the skeptics of the time. No, God wanted to lift high the cross and bring it before the world through the book of Isaiah. Secular and religious uh, scientists and, and, and scholars are studying these things now from about 1947 on into the 50s, even to this day. Researching and digging into it, and wow. And so if you go to Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1 to 2, you're going to need to be in your Bibles this morning. We're going to do some, uh, matter of fact, let me get myself some water. Hello. Hmm. Isaiah, Isaiah 56, because if you, were to, if you were to read the book of Isaiah in the Isaiah scroll and compare it with your English versions that you have more than likely in your hands right now, you would begin to read something like this, Isaiah chapter 56, look at verse 1 and 2 and then verse 6. The Bible says this, keep justice, thus saith the Lord. 
Keep justice and do righteousness. For, listen to this, for my salvation is about to, about to come. This is, this is foreshadowing. This is reaching forward, looking forward, peering into the future. Messiah, Christ, Jesus, he's about to come, okay? My salvation is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the, the, the Sabbath? who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Go down to verse 6. Now listen carefully. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant. Covenant there means a relationship, particularly with God and man, that is characterized by faithful love. Wait a minute, do, do you know, did you guys know what you just read? See, Isaiah is saying, as the gospel of Jesus Christ, as he comes and as he steps and as he enters in, in real time, into human history, and then after the cross, after the resurrection, as the gospel goes to the nations, Gentiles, right? The Bible calls those that are non-Jews Gentiles, okay, from the other nations. They are going to receive the gospel, and along with the rest that comes through salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, they also embrace the seventh-day Sabbath. I thought this was a Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, you guys like to kind of just process with that. That's good. But this is letting us know what the Bible is saying here in Isaiah, what they discovered in this Isaiah scroll, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, is what the Bible is declaring to you is, is that this is not just an Old Covenant thing. This is not just an Old Testament Sabbath for the Jews thing. We talked about that last week, right? That it was a gift for man. Jesus said it was, it, it, it was uh, something that was for man, for humanity, right? The Bible is saying, after the cross, this will be embraced by the nations as they receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what this, that, that's what this is saying, see? What the Bible is letting us know, remarkable. What the Bible is letting us know, family is that we can enter his rest because his rest remains. His rest remains because God's sure word foretold it. Now, how many of you, do, how many of you guys actually like the cold weather? You like it. Okay, you like it. Okay, I'm going to be praying for all of you that just raised your hand this week. See, I was raised in South Florida, so I, I, I'm not quite sure what's, what's wrong with you. You may want to schedule an appointment with me this week. We may need to talk, but um, uh, see, me and cold weather are not, are, not, are not good friends, and so as it's getting colder right now, my wife, who's from Jamaica, right, and me, brought up mainly in South Florida, we're not, we're not happy campers, so we come and we say happy Sabbath, but if it's cold, you know, it, it better be warm in here with the hugs, okay, because we're not, we're not, we're not feeling it. But right now, it's getting colder. And so I'm going outside, but before I go outside, my wife, as any good wife does, she says, hey, CJ, check the weather. And so I get my iPhone out, and I look, and I see what the weather is going to be like today. I may even look and see what it's going to be like for the rest, of the, uh, the rest of the week. And as I'm reading what I'm seeing there, I am confident that what the weatherman has put here on my device is actually going to tell me what's going to be outside when I go out there. Or what's going to be coming down the pike a couple days from now when I want to take my son outside. Or maybe I shouldn't take him outside. Maybe I need to drive him because it's going to be snowing. By the way, I'm so sorry, spoiler alert, they say it's going to snow sometime next week. Sorry, maybe some flurries or something like that. But watch this, we're clapping, right? 
But we trust the weatherman more than we trust the word of God. God's sure word has given us a sure word of prophecy. And he says that his rest remains. Even into the first century after the cross, God's rest remains because God's word, his sure word, has foretold it. And you go with me really quickly. Go with me really quickly to the book of Matthew chapter 24, verse 20. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 20. First book of the New Testament. Matthew 24 and verse 20. God's sure word has foretold it. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus as he is talking to his disciples. As he is looking down, answering their question about when will the destruction of Jerusalem be, and when will the, because they linked it with the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus now, looking down, he is peering down prophetically, and he's talking to them, and he lets them know how to prepare for what's about to take place. The Bible says, are you there? Matthew 24, verse 20. Matthew 24, someone said amen. Thank you for talking back to me. Matthew 24, verse 20. The Bible says, and pray that your flight, that's not a plane flight, amen? You're fleeing there. Okay, so pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the, on the what? The destruction of Jerusalem. By the way, you know that's what he's talking about here. He links and he mingles those two, that, that response. And he talks about initially mainly the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he goes on a little bit later to talk about what's coming at the end of time, right? The signs of the times, right? Bible students, amen. And so as he's there, he's saying, look, you're going to need to flee when the Roman army comes, right? They're going to come to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Disciples are listening to that like, what? Absolutely not. How in the world? And Jesus is saying to him, look, even 39 years from now, you will still be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath and pray that your flight, you leaving, will happen on the Sabbath. Or in winter, because he's probably like me, right? Don't like the cold, right? You don't want to be running and the frost, right? Okay. So, Jesus is looking down, right? And he is still foreseeing that this day, this rest, is still going to be kept by his followers. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on. See, there was no confusion on the part of his disciples as to whether or not this rest would remain. Even those that were following him. Even on the Friday when he was crucified, as they were going to bury him. Go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. As they go to bury him in the grave. By the way, it won't be on the screen, so you really are going to need to be in your Bibles this morning. Amen? Luke 23. Luke, excuse me, Luke 24, verse 50. Excuse me, 53. Am I, getting my, am I getting my text, my verse wrong? Luke 23, 56, excuse me. Luke 23, verse 56. The Bible says this. Last verse of Luke 23. The Bible says this. Then they returned. This is talking about the women and those that were there to bury Jesus Christ in the tomb. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the... Sabbath according to the commandment. Jesus would say in his preaching, Matthew 5, I have not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, to raise it up, to give it its truest meaning in me. And so there was no confusion on their part as to whether or not this would remain. 
You see, God's letting us know that my rest remains. I have foretold it. It has continued. My followers continued this according to the commandment. Commandments weren't done away with. At the cross, what you see happening there is the, cere- the ceremonial laws and, the, and, the, and all those, those shadows of the things within the, the temple services and so forth that were pointing forward to the greatest event in human history, the cross, were no longer going to be needed because they would become obsolete. The cross happened. Amen? But God's laws, we're going to be discovering momentarily, did not change. So therefore, His rest remains. See, what God is saying here is He wants us to trust Him. Just like you trust your device to tell you what the weather is going to be like. Right? God's rest remains. He says, look, I've prophesied it. We're seeing here the fulfillment of what God has said. He's faithful. And so he's saying, look, I want to invite you into this rest because I'm faithful. You can trust me. When I say something is going to happen, like in Isaiah 56, as you receive Jesus, he links that with the reception of the rest that is found in the weekly rhythm of the Seventh-day Sabbath. And he says, I have prophesied it through my servant Isaiah. It's a gift for you. You can trust in me. Amen? All right, come with me now. Come with me to Acts chapter 13. Do we see evidence in the New Testament that this continued? Acts chapter 13. See, the the first century church exploded onto the scene of human history after the day of Pentecost. They waited in Jerusalem. Holy Spirit came down in great power. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just cause you to shout and get all excited about Jesus. That may happen. But he's mainly trying to move you into sharing Jesus through first your own personal witness in your personal life. Amen? And what you say as you continue to do life in your spheres of influence. And so now this is happening in the first century. It took the Greco-Roman world by storm. And so the Bible says now, if you follow the thrust of movement, of mission movement that's happening there, at the forefront of this movement is Paul. Is who? Paul, the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. And in Acts chapter, who's there? Acts chapter 13, verse 14. The Bible says this, Acts chapter 13, verse 14. 14, the Bible says, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Here they are in a Greek uh, city. They're in a Gentile city, a non-Jewish city, and they're still continuing to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. And you may say, hey, Pastor CJ, they went to synagogue because they were trying to go there to find some people to share Jesus with. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Sabbath is a prime opportunity, right? People are not working for the most part in society. And so, well, you know, there's other places where people work on, on the Sabbath. But, but, but there's opportunities on Sabbath, am I right? Yes, absolutely. But you see the evidence that they continued this even in Gentile territory. And as they're there, they're just burning to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And someone says, hey, Paul, you want to preach? You can just see Paul like, well, what should I talk about? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Because the very Sabbath that they're keeping is, is begging for them to preach the rest that they could find in Jesus Christ. And so as they preach, the Bible says people start to respond, both Jew and Gentile alike. And then the following week, the Gentiles, those that are non-Jews, they're now entering into the rest because they're believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say, please, next Sabbath, preach to us again. Tell us about this Jesus on the next Sabbath. Oh yeah, give us that Sabbath because if we have Jesus, we have rest in him. Does he talk about resting in him, a date day with him every week? Yes, I'll take it. Isaiah 56 fulfilled. See, it continues. It continues, family. 
Paul is continuing, this movement of the gospel is continuing, and now it's moving into various parts of Greece. The Bible says as it explodes in Greece, just flip the page over to Acts 16. We're going to be in Acts just for a few minutes. Acts 16, verse 13. Acts 16, verse what? Verse 13. And the Bible says this, talking about the gospel now in Greece. It says, and on the Sabbath day, when we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Where prayer was what? Customarily made. It was the regular practice. And we sat down and spoke to the women who, met, who we met there. Understand, understand what's being said here. He's not talking about it was Sabbath. We were in a Gentile area and we went to a synagogue. But there were other Sabbath keepers, right? Other Jews, right? He says, no, we left the city. We were, it was Sabbath. We're walking around. And we leave, we go outside the city, and there's this place where on the Sabbath people customarily meet for prayer. And there's some women. Are these, are these followers of Jesus? As you read the context there in Acts, 15, uh, Acts 16, these are not followers of Jesus. They are what you would call in that time, uh, you may want to keep it on the slide before that. They, 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 they are what you, you want to go back one more. They are what you would call God-fearers. These are God-fearers. These are people that are in the Gentile world, but they have a, a kind of a drawing to Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. And so they recognize the Seventh-day Sabbath. And so they get down now over there by the, the riverside out in nature. By the way, it's a really good thing to do to experience the God of creation on the Sabbath. Amen. They go out by nature. They're praying. And Paul goes, thank you, Holy Spirit. I think I know what I want to talk to them about. The Bible says that they all get baptized, these women that are there, and Lydia, who was a uh, wealthy uh, 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 a maker of purple, expensive in that time, and she invites them to stay with her household, and they all get baptized, right? The gospel just continues to spread, okay? Now, the Bible says now the gospel continues to move through Greece, and it goes to Corinth. And when it goes to Corinth, you see the same pattern here in Acts chapter 18, verse 4. Just put the page over. Acts chapter 18, verse 4. His rest remains. The Bible says this in verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every what? Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Here you go again. You're seeing those God-fearers. These are non-Jews, but they're there because they fear the God of the Bible. And so they're there on Sabbath with the other Sabbath keepers that follow Yahweh. And as Paul goes and he preaches, the Bible's letting us know he does what he always does. Right? It's as his custom was, right? Echoing what Luke, who wrote Acts, wrote in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He says, as Jesus' custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, right? Okay, this was his custom, meaning it was his regular practice, right? I want to I worship with the other believers. The Bible says in the Old Testament that the Sabbath is a holy convocation, a coming together of the believers of the Lord. And it continues on now in the ministry of the early church and the ministry of Paul. It was his custom. He continued to do it. He goes there, there's both Jews and there are Greeks. Are you seeing the fulfillment now of Isaiah 56? That's what we're witnessing right here. The Bible is letting us know this thing is being fulfilled and Luke is just writing down the story. He's writing down the history of the fulfillment, right? Okay, so the Bible's letting us know here, the Bible's letting us know here that God preserves its witness. God preserves its witness. It remains. The rest remains because God preserves its witness. Now, many of you may or may not know that in uh, 
over a hundred languages, both ancient and current modern-day languages, that the word for the Seventh-day Sabbath is Saturday. Okay, and I've discovered about four of them, if you want to put those on the screen. There are over a hundred languages represented by nations around the world, and in their languages, this has been preserved. Sabbath in English, right? And then in Spanish is what? Sabado. And then I discovered in Russian, it's sabota. I hope I'm saying that right. Any Russians in the house want to correct me on that? You fact check me on that, right? Sabota. And then I also discovered, it's not there, but a Sabbath keeper is called a saboti. So sabota, and you as a Sabbath keeper, is saboti. Then in French, now help me, Lord, help me. Samida. Am I right? Samdi. Thank you. Sab, yes, yes, I've heard that. But I also discovered that this also is a similar, what does it say? Sabbath. Sabbath. And then Samdi? It means Saturday. Yes, yeah. So it's the Sabbath or it's equivalent, right? It's modern day equivalent, referring to the seventh day of the week. Now you may ask, how did this happen? Over a hundred ancient and modern day languages. How did this happen, right? Well, I believe the Bible is kind of whispering to us, probably is doing more than whispering, it's probably kind of shouting at us, right? Going all the way back to our story as humanity, back to the descendants of Noah, back to the incident that happened at the Tower of Babel. What happened, right? God came down and dispersed the, the people in speaking different languages, right? Now, even though they were kind of rebelling and forgetting about Yahweh, did they forget the weekly rhythm of the seventh-day Sabbath? No, and so what? They took with them possibly in their languages... The same word for the seventh day. And it probably continues to this day. He preserves its witness. Its rest, its rest remains. They've also, they've also discovered um, through history there are many followers of Jesus, even through intense persecution like we're still experiencing now around the world, but even more intense were the experience of the Waldenses and the Huguenots, right? These were followers of Jesus during the Dark Ages, that retained the truth of Scripture, right? And also retained, as they understood the truth of Scripture, they retained Seventh-day Sabbath observance. Documented through history, okay? But here's something else that's quite interesting. Do you guys know that even nature is letting us know that the Seventh-day is a Sabbath? I've discovered something quite interesting, particularly the Seventh-day weekly cycle. Uh, currently, modern-day, let me get this right, chronobiology, Chrono, time, right? Chronobiology. There's some research that's been done, and there's someone that has been doing, I'm going to put that on the screen for me, someone's been doing his name, yes, Anthony Avani, from his research that he did, and he put it in his book, The Empires of Time. He says this, speaking about the biorhythms of the human body. They've discovered this, by the way, in uh, plant life, insects. They've discovered it in animals and in the human body, right? It says this, the modern chronobiology discovered that the seven-day biorhythm is designed into our very own nature and therefore some people have concluded that's why towards the end of the week particularly on the seventh day sabbath your body is craving rest they didn't they, they, we didn't create the uh, seven day seven day week cycle in our calendar and then our body somehow just kind of evolved and adapted to that no actually what happened when you study it out is that we created it we created that calendar right under the, what, the Gregorian calendar and so forth, right? Based on how nature and our bodies were already biologically functioning to reflect what was happening. You follow? Okay. And so his rest remains. It continued through the first century as we just saw. 
And he says, I want you to enter into it. There is a rest that remains for you. You can trust me. I'm fulfilling my word to you. If I say it, you can believe it. And if it's a gift that I've given to you, you can enter into it. But how many of you know it continued after the first century? Matter of fact, towards the end of the first century, you may want to go over to Revelation Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, the youngest one, when Jesus called him, he was probably 16, 17 years old. He was a teenager. What does that say about our young people in the house today? He was the last original apostle of Jesus Christ living, and he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, just off uh, the coast there near Ephesus of modern-day Turkey. And as he's there on exile for preaching the word of God and being uh, persecuted for it, he's there, he's about to receive a vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, you know that's the actual title of the book? I'm sorry, this is a thing for me, forgive me. Some people say revelations or the revelation. It's actually, the way they act, historically, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's very informative in terms of how we interpret that book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And as he's about to receive this vision from the Lord, he records something about his experience there in verse 10. The Bible says this in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the, on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Well, there's no confusion in the mind of John as to which day is the Lord's day, right? Because in the Scriptures, there's only one day that is actually lifted up as God's date day. Jesus made it very, very clear in Mark. We don't got to go there. I'll just let you know. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Right? Jesus says, I am the Lord of the, of the Sabbath. If he's Lord of it, he owns it. It belongs to him. It's his, it's his day. It's his day. There's no confusion there about that. But, shockingly and astonishingly, this would be challenged as the centuries moved on, past the first century. Now, you're going into the second and the third century. The devil changes his strategy. He persecutes the church from the outside, right? But now, coming into the era of Constantine, most uh, secular historians, they look at Christian history as before Constantine and after Constantine. You know that? Before Constantine, after Constantine. I wish I had time. And after that, what you start to see is compromise. The devil says, look, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to join you and mess you up from the inside. Okay? It's an inside job. This is what he does. And so what begins to happen now is, is during this time, you begin to see some things happen to the church that don't look like Jesus. Hello. And the Bible prophesied about this in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. As we're wrapping up here. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. This is a prophecy, by the way. Do you know that the book of Revelation is really just the unveiling of the book of the prophecies of the book of Daniel? What God told Daniel would be sealed was going to be revealed after the cross. And so that's what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation. That's why the twin books need to be studied together in the light of the gospel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible says this. My Bible students' ears are going to start peeking up right about now. And he shall speak pompous words. What kind of words? Pompous words against the... Against the... Against the Most High, talking about God shall persecute the saints. This is a persecuting power. Uh, shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change what? Times and, and law. 
Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, half a time. The time, times, half a time rhythm there is talking about the 42 months. You may see it repeat uh, in Revelation 13. It'll say 42 months. It's expanded there and it'll, it'll say elsewhere uh, 1,260 years. This is a period in history between the time. This is well documented. So you can look, look it up, Google it and all that kind of stuff, right? But it started in 538 B.C. goes all the way to 1798. What was happening in that period? Well, the power or the system that Daniel is seeing in vision, right? John is, is, is also going to be commenting on that later on in the book of Revelation. Uh, he, he, he calls it in Daniel this little horn power. Horn talking about a power, political power. Sometimes it's religious power. And so this one is both. And, and so this one now, uh, uh, this particular power, it's a system. They have a man at the head, but it's actually a system. And what begins to happen is out of the history of the fall of Rome, dividing into the, 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 the main ten western nations of Europe, what you begin to see happening in history is there's this, there's this power that's coming up within Christianity. It was just called Christianity at that time, or Christendom, because this power also operated as kind of ruling even over those ten Western European nations. And it begins to try to attempt to do some things, like changing times and law. Well, what law was it trying to attempt to change? It was trying, trying to attempt to change during this period of 538 to 1798, God's law. And particularly God's law that dealt with time. Which one deals with time? Sabbath, right? Because relationships need time. And God uh, is, 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 is in essence under attack here by this system, though it is posing to be a representative of God on earth. Well, history, very clearly, not unique to me, most of uh, the Reformation uh, preachers and so forth, uh, Martin Luther and so forth, identify the same thing. We're talking here about the Roman papacy that ruled Christianity during this time. We can, we, let's humble ourselves and not try to point our finger at any particular group or sect here. This was called Christianity at the time. But it was ruled by the papacy at the time. Until 1798 when it received the deadly blow. And uh, its political reign, as well as religious reign, was brought to an abrupt halt, though that now is starting to heal, right? I don't got time to go into all that right now. But here's the thing about trying to change God's law. Here's the funny thing about that. Can't do it. You know why you can't do it? Here's why. I don't know if you've thought about it this way. God's law is a revelation of God's character of love. Does God's love for you change? No. His law is faithful because his love is faithful. You can't change God's love one iota. It's what, it, it's what moved him to send his son to this earth to redeem this planet that was in rebellion against him. And so it's an attempt to change the law of God, but you can't change the law because the law is a revelation of God's character of love. Jesus says that in Matthew 22. Paul says it in uh, Romans chapter uh, 13. God's law is a law of love. And so what you're seeing here is that his rest remains, lastly, because his character doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, the Bible says. Today and forever or tomorrow. God's character doesn't change. Therefore, his law doesn't change. Therefore, his rest remains. When I was in seminary, there was a young lady named Jean. And she was a fellow seminarian. You could not, not like this girl, Jean. She was just the most pleasant person, fun-loving, kind, affectionate, uh, spiritual. Um, and she would often be invited with my wife and I to uh, the same potluck and lunches that we were invited to. 
And when we were there, we discovered something about Jean's character that really left an impress on our minds to this day. Jean would come to the potluck, and as soon as she enters the house of the person who invited us all to eat potluck, to eat lunch, like you're about to in a moment, so I'm going to hurry up. The, 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 she would come, and she would enter into the kitchen of the person that just invited her in, right? Doesn't sit down. Doesn't, no, she enters into the kitchen, and when she gets into the kitchen, right, she, she makes sure that you're relaxed, you sit down, and she would go in and start to say, hey, what do you need? What do you need? What does everybody need here? And she would start to serve everybody else. She had the gift of hospitality. You couldn't stop her from coming into your house. You invited her there. You want to serve her. She said, hey, no, 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 Ellen, no, 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 Bill, you sit down. Let me get the apron. What do you need? It happened over and over again. Her character was consistent. And if she was right now here with us today, she'd probably go into the kitchen and say, hey, you, yeah, you go sit down. I got this. You see, her character doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. For his law does not change. Last scripture we'll go to here today is in uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Many scholars, and I do as well, believe that uh, Hebrews is written by Paul based on a lot of internal evidence in the text itself. And in Hebrews, you'll see that he is describing the rest that we have through Jesus Christ in the gospel. And he's using the Sabbath now as an illustration for this rest that we are invited to enter into, accompanied by a warning not to enter into unbelief and not enter his rest, talking about eternal rest in heaven. But look how he describes this now. He's talking about the Sabbath, but he's also talking about the gospel, because one of the things you're going to get very clear, I hope you have been so far, is the gospel and the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Sabbath go hand in hand. Now watch this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says in verse 4, it says, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now go really quickly now to verse number 9. For there remains, there what? Remains therefore a rest for the people of God. If you read the full context there, he's not just talking about the rest of the seventh day Sabbath. He's talking about the rest that the seventh day Sabbath is actually pointing you, driving you to. It's the rest that you have in Christ. It's not either or. You know, some people, when they look at the text, they say, hey, no, he's just talking about our rest in Jesus. Well, yes, but he's also talking about the seventh day Sabbath. You can't separate them. If you just look at Isaiah 56, you look at what we've been talking about, what we've been seeing so far through the history of the church, it's both, you see, because one is pointing you to the other. Yeah, he's your creator, but he's your redeemer. He saved you. Rest in him. Revelation chapter 4. Does it continue to this day? Well, yes, it actually does. Because the Bible looking down, John, to our time, Revelation chapter 14, very familiar text to most of us because it's speaking about our time right now, and hopefully it's speaking about you. Amen. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse number 7, the Bible talking about God's last day people, those followers of Jesus that have entered into his rest. They're experiencing it themselves. But he also says that they have a message, and one of the messages is the first angel. And here's what they're saying. The Bible says, verse number 7, it says, saying with a loud voice, hey, what kind of voice? 
loud kind of voice. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come, past tense. And, listen, worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. He's borrowing the language directly from the fourth commandment. How do we know he's talking about it? Because he describes this people in verse number 12. He says this. These are followers of Jesus again. They are in love with Jesus and they have entered into his rest. Now look at this. It says in verse number 12, it says here is the what? Patience. Your translation may say the endurance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Did you just see the rest that they have in Christ through the gospel? Faith of Jesus. Am I right? They're resting in him, but also because of out of gratitude, out of love, empowered by the Spirit, they're also keeping his commandments, and that's inclusive of the Sabbath. See, it remains, family, because God's character doesn't change, because he preserved it, because his sure word foretold it, and he invites you to enter in to his rest. Enter in. See, this message here is linking for us both the gospel, and the Sabbath. And what we need to understand is that even if you were raised with the right day, you may not have the right experience. And follow, if you don't have the right experience, when this thing really starts to go down, which I believe is soon, are you going to retain that which you don't really have a connection to in an experiential way? You're going to chuck it. Yes. When, 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 when it hits the fan... If you're not resting in Christ, you're going to let it go. Yeah, so we want both the right day, but we want even more so the right experience in Christ because of the gospel. If there's anything we need to emphasize even more in this. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.